0: Please turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Mark eleven twenty-seven. 27, as we continue our life-changing look at Jesus. This morning, I'm having you turn to one passage, but, or one verse. Don't let that fool you. We will be looking at a lot of scripture this morning. You know, it's not uncommon for us to open up to one verse and spend the, our entire time on that one verse, maybe even a few weeks on that one verse, but this morning it's going to feel like we're covering large swaths, and that's very intentional. If you're new to Cornerstone, welcome. We've been working through the life of Jesus now for over three years, and my, what a life-changing journey it has been for us, both as individuals and even as a church. This morning, we're going to be looking at part of his final Tuesday before his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're going to start that study in Mark eleven twenty seven. but first we pray. Let's pray. Lord, even as we just sang, speak. Speak through your word. And Lord, help us to see Jesus as he fights for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning's sermon is actually entitled, The Fight. The Fight. On his final Tuesday, before his crucifixion, there is a rather large altercation, a fight between Jesus and the religious leaders, unlike any fight we've seen up to this point with Jesus and the religious leaders. It starts on Tuesday... It leads to his murder on Friday, and he will end the fight on Sunday with his resurrection. Round one of the fight is found in verses 27 through 33. Let's look there. And they came again to Jerusalem. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that what's happening right now is Jesus has finally worked his way back to Jerusalem... At night, he and his disciples go over the Mount of Olives, and they stay in a little town of Bethany. And then in the morning, they work their way back over that Mount of Olives into Jerusalem to the temple. And so the morning, we looked at last week, and that was Jesus coming back over the Mount of Olives. He saw the withered um, fig tree. And then he taught his disciples that if you have faith, you can move mountains. So that's in the past now. They've made their way down into Jerusalem, verse 27. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And when you see those three groups, chief priests, scribes, and elders, what Mark is doing is he's describing for us the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 70 men plus one, And those men were the Supreme Court, religiously speaking, for the Jews and their religion. That Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, is broken down into chief priests, scribes, and elders. But those chief priests, scribes, and elders were made up of groups of people known as Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, elders... And the Herodians, there were a few Herodians in there. And so this group of men come up, very powerful men, come up to Jesus. They approach him there in the temple. They're the ones that run the temple, so to speak. Verse 28. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And I want to tell you, that word authority is very important. We're going to see it said three times in a couple of verses here. What authority do you have to do these things? Look, these guys are looking to rumble. And they come up to Jesus and they ask who or what gives you the right to be doing what you've been doing. Let's keep reading. They ask the question again. Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Verse 30, was the baptism, this is Jesus talking now, was the baptism of John from heaven. You need to remember for the Jew, they would not name the name of God. They would do so out of respect, honor, and fear of committing blasphemy. And so Jesus asked, was the baptism from John, John the Baptist, was it from heaven, was it from God, or was it from man? Answer me, he says. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, if we say it's from God, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they, all the people, held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, let's start with Jesus' question that he asked the Sanhedrin And then we'll move on to the Sanhedrin's questions. Again, Jesus' question. Was the baptism of John from heaven, from God, or from man? Now, when he says the baptism of John, he's referring to the ministry of John. Baptism is a summary word. That's what John was identified as. John, the what? Baptist. So was John's ministry from God... Or was it from man? To which they reply, we don't know. But they should know. What's the clear answer? In order to find that, I want you to stick your finger or something in Mark 11 and flip back to Mark 1. Flip back to Mark 1. Was John sent from God? Now, if we could go to John 1... Where in John's gospel, he says, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. <laughs> that was, it would be clear, but we're using Mark right now, so let's stick with Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, so he's quoting, he says Isaiah, but he's quoting Malachi here. He'll get to Isaiah in just a second. Behold, I, and the I there is God the Father. I, God the Father, send my messenger, his messenger is John the Baptist, before your face. That phrase, before your face, is a Jewish idiom saying in front of you, before you. He's before your face. Before the face of Jesus. So God promises, God the Father, I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, before your face, Jesus. Who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist. And what's John the Baptist say? Prepare the way of the Lord. Now that word Lord in Greek is kurios. But if we were to go to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 and read it. This was a promise that this messenger would say. Prepare the way for Yahweh. The Lord God. Mark continues. He says make his path straight. If we were to go to Isaiah 40, verse three, we would say, make straight the paths of Elohim. So was John's baptism, was his ministry from heaven or from man? His ministry was straight from God the Father, preparing the way for Yahweh Elohim. The answer is clear. And then, of course, we have John preaching in the wilderness, verse 7. He preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I. Remember, John the Baptist is the greatest Old Testament prophet there ever was. And he says, there's one that comes after me that's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we see Jesus coming out to be baptized. And as he's baptized, verse 10, When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, who am I well pleased? Who, with whom I am well pleased. Was John's baptism from heaven or from man the answer is clear it's from heaven And you see what Jesus does here beautifully is he answers their question by asking them a question and the answer to his question reveals that this is clearly (laughs) a bad question an obvious question Now, you don't need to look back there yet, but I want to move on now to the Pharisees' question. Jesus' question wasn't bad. Let me just make that, like this whole episode by the Pharisees. I think I may have been unclear there, and I don't want to be unclear. Let's get to the Pharisees' question. By what authority are you doing these things? That's what they ask. That's the bad question. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them. Look, authority with them was very important because they're the ones that were usually granting authority to go out and do ministry. Who gave you the authority to do these things? What things are we talking about? Well, the simple answer is the clearing of the temple that we looked at two weeks ago, right? They came in, Jesus came in on a Sunday, the Sunday right before this Tuesday, and he cleans house. No, it was actually Monday he cleaned house. Man, I'm sorry about that. Monday he cleaned house. So that's the obvious answer. What gives you, who gives you the authority to do these things? But according to the broader context of Mark's gospel, these things include the entire scope of all of these incredible, incredible authoritative things that Jesus had been doing. Look at Mark chapter one, verse 21. Remember the context. John the Baptist come preparing the way for Yahweh Elohim. He baptizes him. Jesus then goes out in the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness. He picks a couple of fishermen to be his followers. And now this, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had what, church? Authority. And not as the scribes. By what authority do you do these things, Jesus? Well, even the people that see Jesus for the first time... See that he has authority, and he teaches with authority, not like the scribes. It goes on, verse 23, and immediately there, were in, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with what, church? Authority. By whose or what authority do you do these things, Jesus? That's what the blind Pharisees and Sadducees ask Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried away by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Incredible phrase. Jesus, don't you know that no one can forgive sins except for God alone? Verse 6, now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority... Possessed by God and God alone. I say to the paralytic, I say to you, verse 11, pick up your bed and go home." And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, all so that they were all amazed at the glor- and glorified God. We've never seen anything like this. Now we can go back to Mark 11. By what authority do you do these things, Jesus? By what authority do you do these great and marvelous and miraculous, beautiful things, freeing demoniacs? healing everyone who has need, everyone who comes before you with a sickness or a disease, an infirmity, feeding the hungry, raising dead children and giving them back to their parents? By what authority do you do these things? How dare you do these things? You're not sanctioned for this. Who gave you the authority to do this stuff? You see, that's the spirit behind these questions. They hate that he's doing these things. And if you remember just a little bit earlier in the chapter, Mark chapter 11, verse 18, they want to destroy him. Now, with something marking Mark 11, flip over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Verse 28, Matthew 21, 28. So here's what's going on here. Matthew, he continues, this is very important for you to hear. So as you flip, listen. Matthew continues the conversation, this exact same conversation that Jesus is having with the Sanhedrin. Mark doesn't include it for whatever reason, Matthew includes it. I want you to see it so you can kind of feel the tension building between Jesus and the Sanhedrin. Verse 28, what do you think? Jesus asks. A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and he said the same. Hey, go work in the vineyard. And he answered, I go. Oh, yeah, I'll be. I'm on my way, dad, sir. But did not Go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They, the Sanhedrin, said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors... Listen, remember, the tax collectors are the most hated Jew alive. The Jews were very tight-knit, very proud as a people, but they hated their Jewish tax collectors. Why? Because they were traitors, they joined the enemy, they were helping out Rome, and they were corrupt themselves. They hated, they hated the tax collectors. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Listen, in the parable, the son tells dad I'm not going but then he goes are the tax collector and the prostitutes the son that says oh yeah dad I'm on my way but stays home are the are the Sanhedrin the Pharisees the Sadducees the scribes verse 32 for John came to you John the Baptist in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the scum of the earth in your eyes, believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Can you see the tussle? Can you start to see the fight that's brewing? Let's go back to Mark chapter 12. We finished chapter 11. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus continues with these guys. Verse 1, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man, the man here represents God. God planted a vineyard. The vineyard here represents Israel. Israel is often referred to as a vineyard. This is a common picture for Israel. So God planted Israel. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants. Tenants are people who take care of the property. He leased it to Israel's religious leaders. It went to another country. Verse 2, when the season came, He sent a servant, he sent a prophet, is the idea, to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Of course, that's Jesus. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? Have you not read Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23? Jesus asked the stone that the builders rejected. The stone, the man, the savior, the Messiah that the religious leaders are rejecting has become the cornerstone. He is the most important piece. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes, verse 12, and they were seeking in response. They were seeking to arrest him but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Well, yeah, he did. So they left him and went away. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel them coming at Jesus and Jesus taking each and every blow and returning effective jabs to the point they retreat? They went away, but they are not done. These men are out to destroy him. They're out to trap him. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. We have a fight on our hands, which brings us to round two. Round two, look at verse 13. And they sent they, who's they? The Sanhedrin. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So what do they do? They take, I'm going to use some military language here, they take some special forces from their ranks and they send them on a special op to trap him in his talks. They say, Pharisees, Herodians, you're up. Go ask them about taxes. Everybody hates taxes. And all of God's people said, <laughs> If he tells the people to pay their taxes, we've got him. Nobody wants to pay their taxes. If he, says any, if, they, if he tells them not to pay their taxes, well, then we've got him. We'll go tell Rome on him. He's starting an insurrection. That's their plan. That's their attack. The plan of attack, verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Oh, precious teacher, is it it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, knowing they're appearing to be great and nice on the outside, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Jesus takes round two. Jesus is winning this fight. Round three. This time... They send the Sadducees after him. The Sadducees, of course, part of the Sanhedrin, actually the, the largest portion of the Sanhedrin, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So they go and ask him about the resurrection of the dead. Verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him. Who say, that there is, who say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher... Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no children, the man, the brother that is, must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That sounds weird. This is Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 6. Basically what you had at this point is is you had compounds that families would own and they would pass on. And even the adult children would still live in this house and it would or compound and it would become theirs. And during this time, if big brother gets married, has a wife, dies before he can have children, what God expected out of his brother was to take his wife and have children with her. They would be married. Again, it sounds weird to us. It was not weird to them. This was their calling. With this in mind, these Sadducees try to f- trap Jesus. Look at verse 20. Hypothetically, there are seven brothers, Jesus. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her to be his wife. And he died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And on and on it goes down to the seventh, verse 22. And the seventh left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. And the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be? Ha <laughs> For the seven had her as a wife. How can seven men and one woman be married? See, answer this one. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know the Bible. And you don't know the power of the sovereign king. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But they are like angels in heaven. You say, wait a second, I've never heard this before. At the resurrection, we're no longer married. Ephesians tells us that marriage serves as a picture, a living metaphor of our relationship with God. And as these two love each other and respect each other and mutually re- submit to one another, take care of one another, that's a picture. Of God taking care of us and us in response loving Him. Once, once Jesus is here in all of His kingdom, we don't need pictures pointing to Him because we'll have Him. You say, I don't know if that sounds good. It's good. <laughs> and all the wives say, Amen. <laughs> it's good. I don't know how I'm going to live without my wife. But I'm going to trust that it's good because Jesus says it's good, okay? Verse 26, and as for the dead being raised, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am, I am the God of Abraham. Wait a second, Abraham died 400 years before that. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham when he was alive. He says, I am the God of Abraham today. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then he says, you are quite wrong. And if you don't think that Jesus is in a fight, try telling that to your spouse this afternoon and see what happens. A fight. Round three goes to Jesus. Jesus is winning this fight. Round number four. I'm not sure the Sanhedrin sends the scribe, but his, the scribe comes and hits Jesus with the best question he has. If we flipped over to Matthew right now, you could see that this scribe in his question is also trying to test Jesus. Maybe I'll show you that in a minute. Verse 28, and one of the scribes came up Again, part of the Sanhedrin, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Disputing, you know what that's called in English? A fight. And they heard them disputing with one another. Not that disputing is in English, I know. But in seeing that, he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the one, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Listen, Jesus is winning this fight. I think he might be winning over the scribe. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions and this is when jesus lights them up round five round five jesus takes his opponent to the mat here in mark verse 38 says and in his teaching he said beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now Mark is rather tame. Matthew tells it how it is. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Are you guys doing okay? I'm going to read for you. Well, who, what, what? I missed it. I'm going to read for you all of Matthew chapter 23. And listen, I am not going to explain it. A lot of it is pretty self-explanatory. Some of it I'd have to take time, and I don't have time. I want you to feel it. I want you to feel Matthew 23. This is what happens next. You can look at Matthew 22, verse 34, and you can see that they sent the the scribe, the lawyer, to ask about the greatest commandment. Jesus then gives them a little instruction about David, and now chapter 23. All the same fight, all the same conversation. Verse 23, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his people, so he's talking to everybody now. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. In other words, so long as they give you the pure, unadulterated word of God, well, that's the word of God. Do that. But then he goes on and says, But not, do not do the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Remember, they're in a skirmish. He's been talking to them. They're right there. I don't want to, they're right there. Holly, you're nuts. No. They're right there. Now he turns and he dresses the whole crowd. They're still there. They preach, they don't practice. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Okay, you should know what a phylactery is. It was a wooden box they put on their forehead and their left left wrist, and in the box was scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. They bound the word of God upon their bodies. Oh, they were so religious and their tassels, their fringes. On their garb, on their clothing, they had four tassels on each corner. And each one of those four tassels were to remind them to be holy. And they made their tassels long. They loved the show, in other words, verse six. And they loved the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. That word rabbi, we're used to it. It means teacher. But what we don't know, a lot of us don't, is that it was reserved for the most respected teachers. Rabbi is really like most high and respected and right teacher. They love to be called rabbi. Verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And notice, notice he calls himself the Christ. Verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. All right. Jesus just took him to the mat. Called them a bunch of hypocrites. Said they love the honor. They're all talk. They're no substance. Just like the temple. He's got them on the mat. And he's about to shake off his gloves and get to work. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. And now he kinda, he's going to talk to him about swearing and oaths. And he says in verse 19, You blind men! Verse 23, he moves on Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Few tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neither, or have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup of the plate and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup And the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of that guy. (laughs) What Jesus is saying From the first murder in the Old Testament to the last murder in the Old Testament, you will be held accountable. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones, though, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your house. See your house. is left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he. Comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away, and his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, and he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another they will not be thrown down church do you see him do you see him standing in the midst of the temple fighting for you These are the early rounds of a cosmic fight between good and evil, God and the devil, the serpent and the seed. Jesus walks into hostile territory and he addresses a ruthless enemy to take back what is his. He came to seek and to save the lost. He confronts the enemy. He exposes, he lays bare their corruption. He lays down the truth. And he fights for you. Because he loves you. Jesus is behind enemy lines in these verses and he is firing away to rescue us from this broken and corrupt system. To use a living metaphor, he's in Gaza. He's behind enemy lines. He's under attack, but there's no air support. There are no ground troops. There's no army fighting alongside of him. He's surrounded by the enemy. No shield, no body armor, no gun, no weapon, just his life. all alone, fighting, forsaken, even on Friday, by his father. Do you see him fighting for you, rescuing you? Rick started the service. Galatians 1, 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not some gimmick. That's not some meaningless phrase to start a service. It's a declaration of independence. Grace. Peace. Independence that he fought for that he sacrificed for, that he bled for, that he died for. A war that was not won by millions of soldiers, but by one. One beautiful, powerful man named Jesus. He is mighty, To save, He is mighty to save. For He is better, more powerful, more mighty than everything in every way. Let's pray. I stand in all of you, O oh Jesus. I stand in all of you, Father and Spirit. What a day that Tuesday was. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Amen.